Harry Never looked up at the vast silver bird above him. It was dawn on Monday, August the 2nd, 1943. The ramshackle U.S. Army Air Forces, USAAF, airbase at Chabur in northeastern India prepared for another busy day of activity. About 80 aircraft of various types, including C-47 Skytrains, nicknamed Goonie Bird, C-87 Liberators, C-54 Skymasters, B-25 Mitchells, and new C-46 Commandos, crowded the dirty concrete apron. Aircraft of the China National Aviation Corporation, CNAC, mixed with those of the USAAF and a few of the Royal Air Force, RAF, although for the most part the CNAC and RAF operated from Dinjan, a few miles farther up the Brahmaputra Valley. As the pre-flight bustle readied the Curtis Wright Commando transport, the young pilot walked methodically around the huge plane, checking that everything was in order before climbing into the hold. Making his way forward, Flight Officer Harry Neveu, pilot that morning of Air Transport Command, ATC, Flight 12420, adjusted his parachute before carefully placing it just behind the cockpit. This was where the crew always placed parachutes, ready to be grabbed if they were needed. Following flying training in America, the draft for India had put the twenty-year-old as far from Coleman, Wisconsin, as he could imagine. Early morning at Chabur was always cold, but the fur-lined flying jacket warmed him as he surveyed his checklist. He would need the jacket when he was flying at fifteen thousand feet later in the day on his way to China. The only way to combat the cold was layering. Underwear, wool, work pants and shirt, issue sweater, zippered flight coverall and leather A2 flight jacket, recalled hump veteran Peyton Wormsley, with the blood chit, sewn on the back, later transferred inside, left side. A blood chit was a square piece of cloth on which was printed the nationalist flag of the Republic of China together with, in Mandarin Chinese characters, promises of a reward for downed aircrew to proffer to anyone who found them and kept them alive. Never, who had flown the route several times, worked his way through the checklist automatically. Crossover valve, down. Emergency brake valve, down. Wing flaps, up. Glider release, down. Tail wheel, locked. On and on they went. The checks seemed endless. There were thirty-one in all before he was allowed to start the C-46's twin engines. Beside him, co-pilot First Lieutenant Charles Felix tested the ailerons, throttle and steering yoke, while radio operator Sergeant Walter Oswalt worked the frequencies and established contact with Charboa Tower. Across the vast concrete taxiway, ground crew examined the engine cowlings, oil and fuel caps, propellers, and external fittings of scores of C-46s, the USAAF's most modern but insufficiently tested transport aircraft. Rows of them stretched out beside the apron, awaiting duty in the dangerous skies of the Assam to Yunnan air ferry route, known to everyone as the Hump. The deuce and a half truck raised a dusty wake as it ferried the C-46's passengers from their canvas billets a mile away. The aircrew were billeted in dormitories built of the ubiquitous bamboo, with walls made of woven nipar mats and a roof constructed from bamboo fronds. The floors were made of dirt. Showering took place quite satisfactorily underneath a fifty-five-gallon drum sitting atop a bamboo tower and heated by a wood-burning stove. 
They had breakfasted on fried eggs flown in on planes returning from China, along with fried potatoes, ketchup, and coffee. Today was unusual. They rarely carried passengers nowadays. Most loads to China were gasoline only, recalled Wormsley. Fifty-five-gallon drums, standing on end in a row, starboard side, each lashed with three-eighths of an inch, sisal, rope, to ring bolts recessed in the floor. Boarding inspection verified the manifest, satisfactory tie-down and absence of leaks or vapor. Leakers were removed. Then we queued for takeoff, the first plane down the strip, west to east, as soon as it was light enough to recognize the runway. Separated by piles of luggage and parachutes, the two rows of men in the truck remained lost in thought. It was too noisy and too early to talk anyway. The truck backed up to the fuselage and each man stood up, collected his hand gear and stepped directly.